people love change when it's their idea. We tend to hate change when it's someone else's idea. We're not really, we're not really fond of change. I mean, it's not, it's very discomfortable. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable to change. Miscommunication in offices around the world leads to delayed projects, frustrated colleagues, and missed sales. This can be avoided. There's fascinating research that gives insight into how to have creative dialogues and clear conversations in the office and at home. Full of practical tips, insightful research, and inspiring guests, this is Clarity in Conversations, a podcast by Frank Garten. And welcome back to Clarity in Conversations, episode number 10. Um, this is a different one than what you're used to. In fact, the previous episodes of this podcast are all centered around one central topic and one central guest. And this time we've decided to take one topic, but then to let you hear quotes of all the people we've spoken to in the last nine episodes of this podcast and have them give their view on today's topic, managing change and dealing with change. And it's a, an episode I record together with Els de Meijer. Els, welcome. Hello, Frank. Nice to meet you again. Good nice to talk to again. again. Normally, you're at the end of the episode giving your reflections. This time, you have an active role from the start onwards. So I Great. Like Looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and we're going to talk about change. We're going to tap into all the aspects of change that we find relevant, which is kind of funny because we're in the middle of one of the biggest changes in our life, mm, all of us yeah. at the moment, right? Yeah, we I are. Think. And the biggest change is already that we're not in the same room, you know, we're, we're doing this um, like via Zoom and, and on, a, on a distance. And so, yeah, we're in the middle of the change and it's a, it's a forced change. I'm, like an, an, an unfortunate change, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, and an unplanned one. I mean, I, I yeah. realize in companies often, uh, most of the change projects I've been involved in are that. They are planned projects where up mm. front we think about a change and then we're going to do it. And, and yeah. this is one of these changes that suddenly is there, right? It was. It was suddenly, wasn't it? It was an overnight change that kind of forced us in turn, I think, to change stuff. Yeah, um, And to, yeah, reconsider, I think, everything we took for granted. Yeah. Which is um, what change is about, right? It, it, it's it is, about, yeah. Yeah. It is, I think, I think what, like, uh, and we'll reflect on it later perhaps, but the, the biggest thing is that this whole change and this unplanned change actually kind of, uh, revealed what was hidden before, you know, the our norms and our habits and our values that we normally would only see when we we go traveling, when we get out of a plane in a in a foreign country and then we see things happen differently there. And now all of a sudden, because the circumstances have overnight changed, oh, yeah. almost you could say, it's all of a sudden visible what our norms are and what our values are, what habits we had that you know, we have to change now and, and that we kind of get confronted by our unconscious uh, values that we've actually always had. Which is probably the reason why change is often so difficult. It makes us um, reflect on what's important to us and what our values mm. and, and our norms are. And perhaps because we never, I think in, maybe even in a planned change, we, we don't take the time to um, 
to reflect on those on those different values you know maybe just now because it's so abruptly that we all of a sudden get confronted with it but maybe that's indeed one of the reasons we we don't know or we're not aware of our underlying norms and values absolutely yeah now in the context of change we're going to talk uh what, what i usually like to do is talk about distinctions and and talk about you know either or choices that we have mm. i mean for example in change i think about things like do we do we manage it with the heart or with the head you know the, mm. the, the distinction cutter made about a lot of changes is a rational process where we think upfront about what needs to be done and then forget right. to address the feelings and the change yeah. fails yeah the feelings against the ratio indeed yeah yeah that's yeah. a that's something that is very clear if we talk about uh, about about change you know yeah absolutely so the head versus the heart that's one right. listening or receiving is a central one that will come across in this in this episode yeah definitely yeah, and I think the first one we're going to start with is immediately an essential one, which is that managers in a change process usually have a different perception of what's going on than than the people that the, the change is about. Yeah, so so actually what you're saying is that, so we have the distinction between, you know, feelings and the mind and the heart, and then on the other hand, we have like sending and receiving, but it also, talking about change also puts in perspective the difference between the managers and the rest of us you know like is that right yeah so that like we, we have this distinction between the managers that maybe initiate change or plan the change and then there's the rest of us who kind of have to follow that yeah yeah exactly right. and, and in initiating and following there's a time component and mm. the, the initiators of the change are involved in a very early stage thinking about what's going to happen thinking about the possible resistance making plans making timelines and then the people that are affected are not involved yet they don't know what's coming they have no idea and this time of uh, this time delay effect let's say is one of the key components in change we need to think about as managers we've been working on this change for the last two or three months we then come out to announce it to our staff and we expect them to pick it up in, in, in 30 seconds. That's the voice of Jeff Cox. And although 30 seconds is maybe a bit of an exaggeration, as managers we expect people to digest the change very rapidly, even when we ourselves needed months to construct it. You know, when they don't pick it up in 30 seconds, we forget the fact that it's taken us six months or three to six months to get to, to where we are in our thinking. Um, and we don't give them time to catch up. You know, so we tend to start then forcing that, forcing that information in and not taking into account where they are. So an important aspect of implementing change and communicating about it is to think how the people on the receiving end will look at the announcements. Exactly. And again, you start thinking about the fact that if it's a major change in an organization, we've probably been talking about it in the management team for six months. And we, when we, when we tell it, when we actually communicate then to, to the staff, we're doing it in ten minutes. Right. You know, and it's it's a, just a different range of um, of um, a different scale in terms of the amount of communication that's taking place. You know, in in our management team, and when we try and deliver it then to everybody else. So at the moment we announce the change in the organization, we as managers already know all about it. We designed it. So when we get questions, we may even get tired of explaining the story again. 
Joe McCormack, author of the book Brief, uses a special term to refer to this effect. There's a, there's a, there's a term that I've used from time to time, it's called message fatigue, that leaders, change management leaders get tired over time and they start changing the message. Well, at this point, it's not about the leader, it's about the people they're leading, the people that are going to be implementing the change. Don't get tired of it. You have to stay constantly reminding these people over time because they will lose focus and forget why they're doing it. And you have in that the leader's job is to not give in and change their the message, but to can stay, stay consistent and clear over time because that's what's going to be the difference. Stay consistent over time. That was Joe McCormack. So that time delay effect, it basically reveals the difference between the leaders and the followers, I suppose, doesn't it? The ones who are hate and the other ones who you know, Absolutely. can follow. It's it's like this marathon effect, right? At, at the moment, the marathon starts and the and the and the start gun goes off. The managers are running already and are far ahead on the track, and yeah. you still have the, the 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 runners piling up in the start. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's a very it's a very good metaphor indeed. Waiting to start, think, yeah. 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 So yeah, it's a, it's a lesson for managers to be very much aware, not of so much their own logic in the change process and what they're they're involved in themselves, but but also to think about what, what what's happening for the people I lead. You know, how mm. how do they perceive the change? And, and yeah, hang on, I I I I agree with you there, but I I don't know if they do you really think that it happens deliberately? That no, it's it's it's. No, no, you you have a good point there. I don't think it's it's deliberate at all, but it, it's an effect where managers are so busy with their own mm. logic that they that they forget to think about others, not intentionally, right. but but usually so no. busy with the change and the thing they want to achieve that right. it's all about them. Yeah, I I actually think I agree there, and but I actually think there's another reason. Mm -hmm. I I I don't I haven't tested this or I haven't really investigated it, but. I think it could also, it, it may also have to do with how the managers and, and people in general, how we want to come across to others. So let's say you, you know, as soon as you start thinking about change that you uh, start talking out loud to others and your followers or, you know, your employees about it. I think people may be afraid that they are going to give preliminary information that is not complete and that, that it will dilute their message and that being open in an early stage of, of your change process, I think it goes against our nature and that we don't want to give kind of half half information right. and yeah. an incomplete uh, explanation about, uh, about things. So I, I, I think that it, it could be because they're, they're really busy with it, but, but I, also think that it is perhaps because as managers we can feel like we have to have the answers before we communicate and to really communicate properly afterwards absolutely and that is interesting yeah. because it implies that we feel like the competence of a manager is also to be able to give a concise and unequivocal story which i don't know if that is the case you know yeah that that's right but for me what comes in also is at the same time, it's a manager's responsibility to manage the, the process and mm. to take people along in the process that he, is, he or she is following. So yeah. I, I, I th that, that's an important distinction I once learned is, is that in change, you need to look into the content. At the same moment, you need to manage the process and be very transparent about it. Yeah, exactly. And that would mean that indeed you, you know, you communicate some of the messiness of your change as well, you know? So what, what we're saying is it's important anyway to keep talking about it. 
um, and and to keep the conversation going, right? It, mm. it, we should we should yeah, avoid definitely. to not talk about the change. Okay, so the number one cause of merger and acquisition failure, for example, is organizational silence. And what that means is people are avoiding conversations because they're afraid of conflict. So there's these unspoken problems, or if they are spoken, they're ranted about by people in the break room or something, right? People are avoiding having these conversations because they don't want to get into an argument. And that would be what I think is one of the biggest causes of breakdowns in communication is this, this uh, politeness. Um, because you think it's more polite to avoid a, con a conflict than to actually address it. When in fact, you can absolutely have healthy conflicts and arguments that don't involve insulting people or hurting people's feelings. In fact, we know that couples who argue effectively, who argue without you know, screaming at each other and insulting each other, are 10 times more likely to say they're happy in their marriage than people who avoid conflict. So, yeah, I think the avoidance of conflict is a terrible idea. That was Celeste Hadley, author of the book We Need to Talk. Conflict is inherent to change. Don't hide that conflict. Bring it out in the open. People can handle it, is also what Scott Miller of Franklin Covey believes. I, do. I think people can handle um, bad news. What they can't handle is no news or wrong news because, you know, this very famous global public relation principle exists, right? Absent facts, people make stuff up. The mind has a need, you know, to build and cling on to something, right? So people will gossip, they'll interpret, they'll project, they'll assume, there'll be suspicion. If you declare up front what you know and what you don't know, by the way, you can also say, I am not at liberty to share all that I know, but I will share all that I am empowered to tell you. And as information becomes more uh, apparent, as I am at, at, at free to share, I will do that as fast as I can. And you are welcome to ask me in private any questions as it relates to you personally. But I think it's a good principle because if you don't declare your intent, if you don't share facts, people will ascribe their own motives to what you're doing. They'll be suspicious. They'll assume. And then you'll have a gossip culture, which is just cancerous, right? Be very clear. Be very straightforward. People can – because, you know, if people have facts, then they can build their own plans, build a mindset that's accurate, not based on emotions, not based on opinions – but based on facts, I think that's very comforting to people. Most people can handle bad news. Very few people want to handle wrong news or no news. So do not hold news away from people, even when you don't have the whole story for them yet. Better have conflict than gossip. Because change is unsettling and it gives uncertainty, and we human beings like to create certainty around us. When there's a lot of change in the environment, it is very unsettling for people because we're wired to, uh, to lean towards certainty rather than uncertainty. That's the voice of Caroline Webb, author of How to Have a Good Day. Obviously, we love, <laughs> we love not knowing what we're getting for our birthday and the excitement of opening the, the present. And no, it's not that we hate all uncertainty, but um, if there's any chance that the surprise is going to be a negative one, then actually research has found that uncertainty tends to amplify 
the sense of the, the negative shock. So the main thing that I've seen really make a difference between good communication um, and less good communication in, uh, in corporate change settings is the extent to which a leader can help people get clear on what is known, what is familiar, um, so that they can more readily wrap their heads around the remaining part that isn't known. So what I mean by that is, you know, you might not know what the outcome is, but you can help people really clear what the process is. You know, perhaps the decision criteria or the timing of the decision. You can help them get really clear on what's not changing, um, what's going to continue, what's, what's familiar in the situation. Another very practical tip. We often get so absorbed in the change itself that it's all we still talk about. But as change is unsettling, so keep emphasizing the stability of the operation if you can. What is not changing and what best practices will we keep? Now having said that, we should also be careful not to be busy only with what we can say and what we cannot say. Because the people in our organization have a lot to say as well. Spend time with them, not only talk to them, but mainly also to listen said listening expert Laura Genesic. Listening to others in times of change is undoubtedly the most important thing that any manager can do. I think we know as humans that change is inevitable and change is always happening. But we also know that humans are much better about change if we have a say in the change. So if we are a part of the conversation about the change from the beginning, and that means that managers from the top down need to be listening to their employees. They need to show that they understand the employees and perhaps even are empathetic towards the employees. And they can try to incorporate some of the employees' concerns into the change. And I think that type of change then is easier for existing employees to get behind than a manager just coming in and saying tomorrow you're going to report to a totally different department or you're going to have a totally different job and everyone knows it's just about the company making more money but it's showing total disrespect towards the employees and employees want to feel respected and they want to feel like their contributions are making a difference that sounds obvious but it's not People want to feel respected, and they don't feel respected when you only tell them how much you respect them. They want to be heard. That's why your organization pays them even, to contribute, not only to absorb what you have to tell them. People want to feel they belong, they want to be part of that family. Is that probably why empathy is so important? I asked Laura. I'm not sure that I would say it's most important, but I believe that it is equally important to be empathetic. Change is hard because we lose things in change. We lose certainty. We lose our routines. And these are things that are very important to individuals. And I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't change because companies have to change to survive. We recognize that. But being empathetic about what the employee expresses he or she is going to be losing and seeing if you actually want to lose all of those things. Do you want to lose the fact that I always felt like this was my family and I would do anything for you? 
Well, that's probably not something that you want to lose. So how can you change but still keep that family type atmosphere? So that's Laura Janicic. How can you change and still keep that family type atmosphere? That, that family type atmosphere else in which we're all happy to be part of the family. Everything can be said. It's a cozy environment. Nothing rocks the boat. <laughs> it's okay. Is that really how it works? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit mixed up because change is about I know. change is about an inherent conflict. There is something that used to be part of us and that now no longer is welcomed, and and something new comes in place. So there is a conflict. I know. Yeah, and and we hear everyone saying you should embrace a conflict. You know, it's part of it. I I said myself a, a couple of minutes ago. I said, right, you know, it's messy, and so it is, and is it that bad? Right. So to be Quite frankly, I, I'm myself someone who really likes harmony. You know, I, I think yeah, I would well, rather avoid to talk about the uncertainties and the unpleasantries. That that's two of us. I mean, I mean, I'm probably very conflict avoidant. So <laughs> now, with, with the danger that we're going to project our <laughs> personal preferences <laughs> here, but yeah. how important is it in this we're stage to bring out the conflict in the open? Well, I don't know. So I think um, I don't know. Like, so I'm not in. I'm not into big fights and and big arguments, to be honest. But I do think that that unpleasant feeling that there may be that there will be a conflict that you have to first of all trust yourself that you'll be fine with that. Mm. And secondly, I think if you trust your environment, so the people that you're announcing your change to, or the people that you're working together with in a change, if you trust them um that they have your back so that they believe that whatever is unpleasant or necessary but you know not nice or can lead to conflict that they're not going to kill you for that you know they're um they believe that it's with good intentions if you have that belief in those people again i think it may be easier indeed to deal with 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 conflict or to not be afraid for it anyway. Yeah, it's easier um, to bring it out in the open. I'm, I'm there with you. Yeah. And, and I'm realizing and I, also, one thing I've learned from you is to, to be very careful about the language. And when I talk about conflict, I have a different image, but maybe we should talk about tension. I mean, in, in the ish and soul, yeah, yeah there, there is a yeah. certain amount of tension, right? And the tension, right. it's okay to talk about it and to put it out there in the open. It's, it's part of the process. Yeah, and there's a saying, isn't there? Like, I, I don't even know if it's like in English is even a saying or in Dutch. It's like the more you rub it, the more it's 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 that shining, you know. So, it, yeah. it probably if you accept that, and and like I said, I'm 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 on two paths here because I really would rather avoid it. But I think um, if you trust yourself that you'll be fine with it, and you trust the other ones that they'll be fine with you as well in that way, and then then. Um, in, indeed it we all know that it leads to better results mm. um but probably a lot has to do with with timing i think as well so that it goes back to what we talked about like when should you involve the people in your change and your process and how much in the final message versus so the final message you send out versus the the message that you send during your process yeah exactly yeah and and 
mentioning that tension in in the maybe not in the first stage of the process but as you say a bit later on can be a very important thing as a manager you show people that that you're aware of the fact that this creates tension you don't put it away and it it makes me think of of the the episode we did with Stephen Mark Sachs I don't know if you remember that that was the very first one where we talked about the aviation industry yeah and where where Stephen particularly indicated that as a pilot when he takes people on his playing he needs to be very sensitive for how they perceive the situation and where right. for, for him as a pilot things feel natural and he can do whatever he likes but it has an impact on the people who are sitting in the passenger seat next to him well first of all um, most professional pilots do that many um, avocational pilots pilots who are not flying for compensation are not quite as careful as a matter of fact uh, i think it's one of the ways you and i ended up connecting. I wrote an article about that yeah. uh, for, for AOPA. Um, um, the best way for a, a pilot to do that is to help, help themselves think like a passenger. A passenger will feel betrayed if a pilot does something strange and does not explain it, especially if they don't explain it ahead of time. Here's an example. Here's a mistake I made a couple of years ago, um, I needed to change. I, I had my wife flying with me and I needed to change a frequency. And when I turned the knob to change the frequency, I accidentally went to one, one of the numerals was wrong. And I said something like, oh man. And my wife didn't know what was wrong and thought, oh my God, we're going to crash. We're going to crash because I, I sounded like I was, I was unhappy. I was not adequately sensitive to her. Yeah. And I, I needed to explain right away that, that it wasn't the end of the world. I just, you know, clicked off the frequency. So uh, uh, having, people, having people know what to expect uh, is is very important, and having people understand why something happens. And another another thing I'd really like to mention, and this was kind of the crux of uh, the article that I wrote, is in aviation. If you are talking to a passenger and let them know ahead of time what's going to happen, and provide a reason for that for what's going to happen, they feel much more at ease. A quick a quick example. Often, when flying over a mountain ridge the air splashes over a mountain ridge and acts very much like water. And that creates a little bit of bumpiness. Notice I did not say turbulence. (laughs) So whenever I have passengers and we're going to fly over a mountain ridge, I point out that to expect that it's probably going to happen. It's because the air acts like water and they're very happy with that. And now they pay attention to it instead of becoming frightened and grabbing their seats and having white knuckles and and not knowing what's going to happen. So I expect, for example, if there's stress in business, let's say somebody is going to be let go from the company, somebody's going to be fired and you're the one who has to tell them that, you know, let them know why, provide a rationale for it. Don't just say, well, you know, bye, you're gone. Communicate sensitively. And as a pilot, put yourself in the passenger seat, such that you know what helps them. You want to explain why you do something and what it will mean for them. But that's a thin line to walk, because you don't want to overly rely on the logic that helps you. When you think about the change from their perspective, think also about their preferred communication style and how to get them on board. 
and that's not necessarily with logic and ratio. Absolutely, and I think it comes down again to um, the way in which we like to influence because um, as a manager, I've typically been spending a lot of time working out what that change needs to be. And I've looked at all the alternatives and I've come up with the, with the solution that needs to be carried out. And I'm then likely to explain the logic that it, as it applies to me and what I've done to in order to get there. Um, and then it's obvious to me what's, what's required. It therefore should be obvious to everybody else. <laughs> and of course, it's not always obvious to everybody else. And when somebody says, I don't see that, then we just repeat again, well, you must see it. This is, here are the facts, here's the data. The facts and the data could work for some, but realize that others may need a different message. And earlier in today's episode, we heard already that people are not only waiting to be influenced with the positive messages only. Sounding overly positive can mean like, it can sound like you really don't mean it. You're just trying to soothe them. And that is disrespectful to the person. And people do not like, like feeling like uh, they're not respected. They need to feel valued, even if you're giving them bad news. Right. So I would say, if you can seem positive, if you can be positive, that's always appropriate. But if, but if you can't, as, lo as long as people know what's happening, they think you're telling them truthfully, truthfully what's happening and they feel respected, that's what's going to really enhance the communication. That is my belief as a psychologist, as well as a pilot and a college professor, yeah. when I've had to give people... Uh, bad news whether a pilot an author a college professor or a podcast host communicate openly and transparently but not only with positive news we want an honest story and we want to be heard this is also what laura Janisic shared when we talked about this uh, i've recently gone through a change um, myself and i know that every decision that was relayed to me was relayed in a way that textbooks say you should never do. And it was an interesting experience for me to be able to step back and try to look at this change objectively, uh, but then also feel the change and recognize that there are so many stories that are now going on around the company that it's difficult for people to trust the company. And so we do find people are leaving the company. All right. And I wish I could give you more specifics there, but I, I cannot do that with that specific company. Um, but I think that we all know that when change happens and it's thrust upon you or forced upon you, then a lot of times we're going to lose a lot of really good employees. So going to lose a lot of really good employees, that's not what we want in change, for sure not. So it's important to be clear to people, explain them what's going on, but don't force your logic on them. If people get the feeling it's forced on them, they don't like it anymore. So we have to open up, right? Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to to agree here, and I, I do agree, um, but let's not make the mistake of uh, putting too much emphasis on the sending, you know, because there is, of course, the, the listeners as well, and, and the listeners, they become the senders, and the, um, the senders become the listeners, and that happens 
all the time together you know so um you cannot send something without someone else being there to take in that message and to uh, do something with it um so what you're so saying I, is don't rely on that sending receiving model because you say in the interaction the change is going to get meaning right yeah exactly that's exactly what it is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah exactly um and and where you would say probably you know like we spoke before or we've spoken before about you know you're stuck in your own story and you're too busy with it you know um and you have to involve the worries of other people as well. Um, but I would actually even go as far as saying, don't just rely on your logic only, also add your own worries and concerns and focus on the listeners or, or whoever is with you there on their logic too. Because I, I actually think you construct this together, you know, you construct your change together, like you said. You make an excellent bridge there to the topic we discussed in the latest episode of Clarity and Conversations, where we said there's different styles of influencing people. So although my preference might be that I talk about detail and structure and logic, the head, your preference might be to see the big picture. And then I need to tune my message so that you take more value out of it. Mm. Yeah, true. True indeed. Yeah. And accept that you know, first of all, be aware of that. And, and secondly, um, you know, maybe change it and, 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 and switch between one and the other together. So different communication styles. And then it's important to think up front, what are you trying to get out of that speech? Is it just to advise people of what the solution is? Or are you going to try to inspire people into the new direction, to the new future that you want to be? So are we talking about problem solving? Or are we talking about building something different for the future? That's going to give me a different style to use. If I'm just talking about here's the solution that we've come up with, I'm going to talk process style. And the implication then for that is that people are going to argue with me because we're in a discussion now about facts and logic. If I'm moving into, you know, um, talking much more about inspiring people into the future, um, then I'm going to use idea style, um, which is a directive style, um, but it's one that builds on the relationships and builds on the common interests that we have within the group of people that I'm trying to, uh, trying to work with and inspiring them into thinking about a different future and moving towards a different future together. So the way in which I do the speech you know, is going to depend a lot on where the people are in the group and where it is that I want to get them to. Yeah. Bearing, bearing in mind as well that if this is the first time they've heard that the change is going to happen and what the change is, it's going to take a little bit of time for them to listen to that and understand it. Because they're going to be in a little bit of shock and they're going to have some emotions around things. So the more I can talk in a more emotional style of doing things, the more I can talk in a more relational style, the better chance I've got that they can hear me. Says Jeff Cox. The lesson? In the early stages of change, for sure it's important to talk about the why and present that with facts and logic. But don't rely on that style only. 
even not in a company where the setting is very technical and where you believe your people want facts and logic. Even in the most technical settings, you need other people to get on board with your ideas in order for things to work. Um, there's no person in a modern professional environment that doesn't need, doesn't function in some kind of uh, ecosystem around themselves where they need to either encourage other people to to do a task uh, they need to encourage someone to to support a, a project you know this is happening in however technical the work is this is happening in every in every workplace and if you want to make sure that uh, that people are able to to do what you want them to do you need to understand how their minds work and I remember working with a guy who was running a technology co uh, consultancy and he had a similar query at the beginning. He said, you know, I'm, I don't, you know, I know I'm supposed to think about these people stuff, but I, I don't, I don't really, I'm not as excited about it as I am about the technical problems uh, that I'm trying to solve. And for him, the, the twist was when he reframed the people as part of the system that he was trying to optimize, part of the problem that he was trying to solve, recognizing that he could not be successful in, unless person X did uh, this and person Y did that. And that to uh, understand that to think about how to motivate and engage them wasn't soft. In fact, it was the hardest thing of all and that his project would not succeed unless he managed to do it. And I think that reframe seems like a subtle thing, but actually it was core to, to him feeling like it was worth spending time to understand how to, how to motivate and engage people. So keep the communication going is what we already said before. Organizational silence is to be avoided, as then the negative thoughts and feelings go underground and they form a resistance movement. Speak about it, speak at the people, and even more importantly, listen to the people. You know, one of the big downfalls in terms of what made change, what made changes not work well, was that we tended to under-communicate by the factor of 10. Um, that communication is poor, yes, because we don't communicate enough. We don't use all of the media that we've got available to us we've got a change that's taking place and we send an email out to people mm, yeah. and expect everybody to read it, you know, and I've said, well, all the data's there or we have a, we do a town hall meeting, you know, and we talk at the group and we don't give them an opportunity to, to internalize what is being said or discuss it or anything else. It's a one way didactic form of communication. Um, and what we've got to do more in, in certainly in the time of change is recognize where people are in their own uh, personal change process. That the first time you hear something, you may well go into denial. You may well go into shock. You may well go into anger. You won't necessarily immediately be at the stage of acceptance. You know? This is the first time I've heard something. This is the first time I've identified the impact that it's going to have on me. And so I need time to think about that. I need to have a personal communication on that with somebody to understand what it means to me and how it's going to work. It's not just, um, you know, well, I've told you everything that's, that you need to know. So yeah, Jack makes it very clear, doesn't he, that it's not about just descending and uh, me telling uh, you what you need to know uh, or what I think you need to know. Um, 
because that has a kind of feeling in there that um, it's the manager who talks at the group um, rather than the manager talking with the people, you know. Absolutely. Um, and and it re-emphasizes again what you know, and and it's it's really one of my key messages always is that we don't. Uh, and I know we use this as a very easy way of talking about communication about sending and receiving, but that that that, that process is a continuous process where everything happens at the same time and that we construct stuff together you know that it's it's something we we construct the change with each other together in the interaction between us yeah the change right. gets meaning and we construct it yeah you're right on yeah. that and, and, yeah and i think exactly. it also has to do a lot with with how we see our own role as a manager in a change process i mean if we, if we see our role as as now we've thought about a change we've designed it now we need to inform the people <laughs> then our role really is now i need to persuade them yeah, and, yeah, and, and, yeah. And let's totally, convince them. <laughs> yeah, let's convince them. Well, a totally different mindset is now. I thought about the change a lot. Let's see how they see it. Yeah. Or and let's let's add the, like let's see if we can. So indeed, like we're saying, oh, we have an idea. Let's see how we can implement or how we can construct it together. Versus, I have an idea. I'll work it out, and I'll see if I can convince you if you agree with me. Or even um, one step further, I'm realizing now I have the idea. Let's test it to see if people see this work in reality. So in essence, it's actually, it's a difference between, and it's a subtle word, I think. When we talk about communication, I think we talk about, like, we're very tempted to go in, into two-way traffic, you know, one message gets sent and received and the other way back. But if we talk about conversations, which is also what you say, you know, clarity in conversation, it's it's to have conversations and not like um, to have send and receiving, but, but to really, you know, exchange and build up um, your ideas and, and exchange your worries and concerns and everything like that. That is an actual conversation. I think something that a manager can do is actually to have a conversation with uh, each of their direct reports and not make an assumption about what this means for them and actually have a conversation and say, tell me, how you're thinking about this how do you think this is going to affect your work and actually to have a conversation to surface what it is that they're thinking um, because otherwise you might be trying to solve the wrong problem um, you may be making an assumption that everybody is um, trying to maximize the same things in in a in a big uh, period of, of turmoil and actually you know some people might prefer to have something really solid a firm foundation to stand on perhaps they don't mind if their job gets a bit smaller but they know what you know what's what um, other people might want to be really reassured that all of their uh, opportunities for advancement and uh, uh, and exciting new projects are still in place and you don't know really until you actually have the conversation with your direct reports to say uh, tell me what's on your mind as you think about this what is it that uh, that I can do to be helpful. So this is mindset. It's clear to us that we need to listen. But if we listen with the mindset of, I need to defend the change, we're not really listening. And when we listen with a mind full of assumptions, we're not really listening. The challenge is not to listen from our perspective, but try to understand their perspective. Confirms also Laura Genesis. Absolutely. I think we become very polarized and we then start listening just from our perspective 
and we start listening more critically. So anything you say, I'm going to figure out how I can attack, or I'm going to figure out how I can reject what you're saying. And we see that in the U.S. right now, the difference between Democrats and Republicans. Mm. Uh, we know that just when you start listening to a speech from somebody from the other side, you automatically go into a different style of listening because you're trying to attack what they're saying as opposed to really understand what they're saying. And that's really hard to do. So before change takes place in a company, you've got to figure out where the employees are. Listen in order to understand. This became one of the main topics of the first season of this podcast and critical in times of change. Celeste Hadley confirms that from her perspective. When you're in a conversation, the, one of the worst things that you can do is go to try to educate people or lecture to them because the human brain really doesn't like to be told what to do. Even when we've asked for advice, in fact, we don't enjoy it. What's happening inside your brain when someone is giving you advice is your brain is literally becoming defensive in that, in that it goes through the same actions as though it were being the body were being physically attacked. When you announce um, major changes, oftentimes people make the mistake of spinning it. So they'll say, hey, this is what's happening and it's gonna be great and everything's gonna be better and your work life's gonna be better and here's what's gonna happen. And all people are hearing about that is that you're, it's a one-way conversation. Now you may say, hey, do you have any questions? <laughs> That's not the same as opening it up for conversation. That's not the same as asking people for input. So basically all you're doing is coming in and saying, here's what you're gonna do. We're changing your work life. Human beings don't like change. And we're telling you how you're going to feel about it. This is going to be great. And we're telling you how it's going to affect your job, even though we don't entirely understand your job, everything's going to work better. So we have to, you have to make, if you're going to bring about change, A, you have to invite input because it's going to make the change more effective anyway. And you have to invite actual conversation and response, not just try to completely control the message and control everything that happens, including your employees' reactions. You can't control it all. That's a hard message for a control freak like I am. I always have this <laughs> I need to control. It's a good one, actually, that Celeste brings up. You can't control it all. That's... Yeah. How's that for you, Els, when, you, when, you, when you're involved in change? Where do, you, <laughs> where do you get hit with your own preferences? <laughs> See, it's a, it's a very funny question because I, I always think that I'm, I don't want to be a control freak and I always think I'm great with change. <laughs> the truth is, I don't think I am that great with it because, like, if we... To be honest, like this whole change where we ended up sitting at home and like for me lecturing from behind my laptop and also talking to my students from um, from a distance and not being able to kind of use uh, all the information and energy that would normally feel in a classroom. Um, I thought it was hard, you know, and, and it took me a while to get used to it, to be honest. Mm. Um, I'm not just in as much that um, I wasn't able technically and, and all that thing and like I didn't want to resist at all so I felt like I had to and, and rationally there was absolutely no resistance um, but emotionally I think and, and just mentally it, it took my my whole being my body, my brain uh, my unconscious habits a lot of time 
an effort to or a lot of energy actually to kind of change things that i i was so used to yeah um i have to say i became very aware of my resistance as well so i don't know if right yeah like it's a, it's kind of an itch isn't it like i don't know how you if, if you have to express resistance for me it's a bit of a ugh, feeling you know it's like a a tiredness or an or an itch or something you know that's how i feel resistance i don't know how you how you experience that yeah i'm I'm with you there and i find resistance in the context of change usually a very difficult topic because we say people are resistant but at the same time if we ask all these individual people are you resistant everybody will say no no i'm not resistant i i just want to mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's an argument yeah. you know but but nobody on purpose is not agreeing with the change people are more flexible and more adaptable to change i think than we think but we yeah. forget to interact with them in a proper way and that's that's Probably, where a lot yeah of yeah and change by definition is uncertain there's no way yeah. around it yeah and that brings emotions it's uh, you know it's um and and we i i think we rationally and and what you said is very funny you know that perhaps there is a bit of a taboo on not want and change because who are you you know flexibility is something that apparently i think is valued in society flexibility adaptability being agile they're all values that you know you you open uh, the newspaper for a, a job vacancy and those words are in there so yeah, yeah, yeah of course it's not hip and not done to have resistance against change which is funny because that kind of suppresses our emotions about it i think and it has a lot to do with, with the, the, you know, we, we, we often don't know from ourselves how resistant we are or how reserved we are. I mean, it, it makes me think a lot of, of my topic on, on cross-cultural management where a big difference between, where we see a big difference between these perceptions that people have of you. I mean, for example, the Dutch think of, them, of themselves as very open to change. We find ourselves very flexible. We find ourselves being really open to things. Mm-hmm. And yet we are perceived by Americans as extremely resistant to any change. Because really? we always ask yes, but, and we have all these reservations initially that we use to clarify things, but for yeah, them yeah. comes across as absolute resistance. Yeah, and I think, like, uh, and I know it's unfortunate, everything that is, or unfortunate, it's actually dramatic, everything that is happening. But if there's one good thing coming out of this, and it is that, it makes us much more aware of our unconscious uh, emotions and our own resistance to change. We are resistant to change. Change is uncertain. Change brings emotions. Change makes us vulnerable. And when I asked Mika Coupe about this vulnerability in the context of change, a deep sigh followed. <sighs> I think that... Um Change, change by definition is uncertain. It's a risk. It's something new that you don't always know what the new is. Ah, that's an important one. So often it's too easy to label the responses we get as resistance. But maybe it's not resistance. It's just that we don't know the new reality yet. Uncertainty is something most people don't like. So there will be a lot of emotions and a lot of stories. So in times of change, you have to deal with those stories and with those emotions. But what I know is that um, many people forget to deal with the emotions and the stories. And they don't even check them. They are just trying to 
reassure people. Everything will be fine. You'll be fine. You'll get a new job. You'll whatever. We'll survive. But why would pay people take your word on that? Hmm. Yeah. There needs to be a lot of trust in order to be calm in times of change. But calm is a very big gift if you can be calm. Um, but I think that generally speaking, you could say that in order to, to help people stay calm, you, you need to deal with their emotions and their stories. And not label the emotions as resistance. I say no. pe people are resistant to change. No, uh, uh, no. And, and, and that's actually, that's even a bit of a senseless thing to say, because of course people are resisting change. It's we are changing all the time, but we don't like uncertainty. We like to know what's happening. And, and that's a very normal biological thing in human beings that we are depending our safety is depending on predictability yeah. predictability is what we look for it's not resistance so how can we help people to make the change more predictable for them we could we need to create some kind of uh, uh, safety by talking about the things that are in the way that are uh, troubling us just having the courageous conversation about what's happening in people in times of change and you that, don't even have to yeah. do the, 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 the great conversation. You don't have to do them great. You just have to uh, address the topics, address the emotions. And maybe, like you said before in the, in the conversation, is, is, is also to give the right example there and say that as a manager, you're also uncertain about some of the outcomes of the change process. Yeah, and there's a, of course, there's a, a, a strategic or tactical uh, thing there. I mean, leaders have a responsibility for a group of people. And like being an example of somebody who can deal with uncertainty, risk, and who can keep calm in times of change, that's a great thing. And you have to know that you don't always have to share everything and you don't have to share all the things that make you feel vulnerable because you also have a role to play and 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 if you share all your uncertainties you may influence uncertainty in a company or in a team so of course you are going to share what has value to the people in the situation you don't overshare you do not overshare but you show that you care you show that you understand what it means to them and with that we come back to the time delay effect that we opened this episode today with as managers, we often are not aware that we are far ahead of the pack and that our people still need to go through an emotional process. When you recognize that change is highly emotional for people, then you can approach the change differently by perhaps not, you know, forcing it onto them or putting a strict timeline that everybody has, you know, you know their own change process. But I, I think as a leader, it's just paramount first to recognize that you may have much more context for the change. You may have known about it a lot longer than your frontline team members have. So don't expect them to assimilate faster than you did to the change. Recognize that they may be hearing it for the first time. They have a lot of questions that might be second nature to you. You, you may have more information on what's going to happen long term, and they're unsettled. Tell them. Ask any question you like. I may or may not be able to answer it, but the moment that I can, 
And the moment that it's clear to me, I promise to you, I will update you on this. There will be some uncertainty. We may not all um, be comfortable at the same speeds. That's okay. But this is the direction that we're going, and everyone will need to get on board. I recognize that each of you may have some different questions in private and some in public. I will be as transparent and open with you as I possibly can. And with these thoughts of Scott Miller, we come to the end of thinking about change processes in companies where we talked about the head versus the heart, sending versus receiving, having a dialogue versus telling people how it's going to be. A lot of thoughts on managing change. And what we always do at the end of Clarity in Conversations is end up with three tips to bring more clarity into your conversations. Three tips. Let's this time make it four else, because I'm sure you have tips to share and I have a few tips to share, right? Yeah, let's agree on each two, right? And then we have four, which is kind of doable. Sounds great to me. Well, what's the first, <laughs> what's the first tip that comes up for you? Tip one. Um, so my first tip would be that um, to create awareness and to become aware of everything that uh, goes on whenever you're talking about change uh, or whenever you're doing change or you're subjected to change. Uh, and I think that awareness on how you feel on your resistance is the first step in um, perhaps uh, getting rid of the resistance or at least knowing how to deal with it because maybe you don't have to get rid of it. And what springs to mind is I have a, a colleague who does that extremely well. So when we're in a conversation uh, about a plan or anything we're going to carry out, which is mostly a change, no matter how small or how big it is, she names, she says, things like, um, I feel I'm getting tired now, uh, or my energy is dropping. I don't know how come it might be that I'm tired or, you know, because of bad sleeping, but you know, I feel that this conversation is not giving me a lot of energy. Or she would say things like, I feel that there's some resistance here with me on this, on this, on this. And she would not, she'd just drop it in the group and then, you know, um, she wouldn't tell us it's our fault, but it makes everyone sit back and take some time, you know, stall the horse and really think about what is it that we're doing and is this really the right thing that we're doing? So that awareness of your resistance and communicate your resistance and talk about your feelings uh, whenever you're involved in change would be my yeah. first tip. Tip two. The stronger your own opinion, the less open you are for the opinion of your people. Um, mm. we, we often think we have to explain people how the change is going to be and we start sending and we start explaining to them. And that's because we've thought a lot about it. Um, and when I, when I project that on myself, it's absolutely happening. I, I would describe myself usually as a very good listener. I think I'm, I'm really good at listening to other people. But mm. at the same moment, I'm an introverted thinker. I, I, I usually realize that, that the more I think about something, the stronger my opinion becomes. And that's the moment that I'm not so open anymore and that I'm so not really listening. Yeah, you're two or three steps ahead already of, of whoever you will have to go through the change, right? You're ahead, absolutely, yeah. And it's, it's yeah. The, the time delay effect. As a manager, I've been able to think so long about the change that now I'm convinced we have the right solution. So in yeah. that mindset, I'm not so open to what you think. Tip three. Uh, my third tip would be that um, to rethink communication. And you know me, I talk about this a lot. 
I'm almost allergic to the send and receive model that we uh, use in, in talking about communication. Um, but now I think if we, um, with regard to change, I think it really is important to rethink and rename and relabel communication as conversations, first of all, and secondly, as a process of interaction where we are in something together and we build up the logic, the emotion, we integrate that all in a kind of spiral, we spiral it up into one idea, into one reality that we can go through together. So rather than talking to a group, you work with a group and you, you know, you embody change and you make change together. So if you use the right words to talk about communication like that, and you talk about interaction rather than sending or receiving, I think you're halfway already uh, in uh, getting rid of resistance and actually achieving the change that you want to achieve. You know what's funny? I think my, my second tip is, is along that lines. It's not that different. Tell <laughs> so me. I would have worded it slightly different, but it, it comes down for me to have the conversation have right. the dialogue. I mean, so often we think we are in a dialogue that, that we think we are in a good conversation, but actually what we're doing is we're scoring points. We want to convince people, to persuade people. We want to be right. And to really, with an open mind, enter a conversation where we're going to say, this is going to change. And we've thought a lot of time about it, but I, I, I just would value to spend half an hour going over it with you and, and hear what you think yeah that's a big yeah. step to make for a lot of people and yeah. i think it's key i mean it comes down to what this whole podcast is is about it's clarity in conversations in the conversation you have with the two of you or with your whole department only there the meaning starts to come up right yeah you need exactly. to have a good conversation that's where you create your meaning and you don't have it in your head it's you create it together and you create reality together then absolutely yeah okay with that we come to the end of an episode especially about change in organizations and communication around the process of change which definitely was an interesting one to dive into with all the guests that we have over this uh, over this season in clarity and conversations which was a lot of different guests now, I say this season, the season is not over. There's two more episodes coming. In the very last episode, Elsa is interviewing me. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I'm curious to hear a couple of things from me. And we turned it around as well, Elsa. So the next episode is totally about, well, I, I would say about, about you. you but, about you. Uh, <laughs> uh, especially about the research you did, right? Because you recently graduated with a PhD in, in, in the field of communication in organizations. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it is indeed. It's like, it's very funny because it's like, um, we, we spoke so much offline, you know, or outside this podcast. And now it's like, um, I feel like um, it's like a proper conversation between the two of us, indeed, where we share our ideas and uh, where I'm able, indeed, to talk a bit more about my, my background as well. So, um, um, yeah, for anyone who's like, uh, keep an eye out on, on when that uh, episode is coming online because I enjoyed it and I really think um, it's worth listening to. Fantastic. So we're going to hear that in two weeks in episode 12 of Clarity and Conversations. Thanks for listening to Clarity and Conversations, a podcast by Frank Garten.